episode 40. They say that that's where life starts. It sure not is the case for our podcast, but we're gonna keep going as strong as ever. As every Friday, this is the Anglo Italian Pod, and I'm Tommaso Adami, and you can find us on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod. And I'm Rory, you can find us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, as always, and I remembered it this week. Tommy, how are we doing? I'm doing fine. This weather is always more Scudetto weather. I'm loving all of it. I had a very good uh, Tuesday and Wednesday night of Champions League football. I'm excited to talk about it. We've got a solid interview with our first female guest. But Rory, Diversity, guys. Diversity coming at you. Diversity coming at you. We're sure you did not see that coming. Rory, how are you? I'm good. You're right about this weather, man. I'm like walking back from work today and I was like in my t-shirt and there's like around the Ville, people were like running and cycling. I was like, oh my God, summer is nearly here. Let's hope we're not locked up for it. I'm enjoying it. And yeah, Champions League football. Let's just, let's just do it. We would like also to remind you that we have our second episode of the brand new quiz called One Minute to Kick Off. And today we're going to test Rory's knowledge on foreigners in the Premier League from 2000 to 2021. So the running order goes Euro Review with everything Champions League and National Leagues, weekly topic featuring a special female guest, and finally, our quiz. Rory, are you ready to jump aboard the Euro Review blimp? I'm ready. Let's do it. And welcome, everybody, to our Euro Review section. We've got Champions League action to talk about, and we're super excited about it. Rory, safe to say, these games did not let us down. No, not at all. My my hopes were sky high for these games, and I was not disappointed. So I'm looking forward to reviewing them, right? Yeah. Um, after after reviewing the Champions League action, we are going to move on to Serie A, where there was some action last night. And finally, almost all the teams are on even games, except two, but we'll cover it later. And then we'll dive into France, Coupe de la Ligue, je pense aussi. And then... Mm-hmm. Oui, oui, oui. Baguette. Yeah. And then Spain and Premier League. Rory, shall we start from our Tuesday night of Champions League football? Let's do it. It feels like a lifetime ago, but shall we start with Manchester City Dortmund? I think that was the better game, right? It's still difficult to decide between these two games. Which one shall I watch? This was the question on Tuesday night. Right now, the question is, which one shall we review first? I don't know. Like, the names just sound so well. Man City, Borussia Dortmund, and Real Madrid-Liverpool. Honestly, it was... It was a bit of a Sophie's choice. And we need to appeal to FIFA or UEFA and be like, guys, look, just stagger the games, please. Some of us are greedy and we want to watch all the football. Some of us aren't bored of football yet and we want to see it all. Um, But let's start with Dortmund City. I think this game, because it's the one I watched. So let's start with that one. Um, What a game. Two teams who really, really went for it. I feel like there was a lot of controversy because the referee did not cover himself in glory. And I'm not talking about Erling Haaland signing the cards after the game. I couldn't give a toss about that. The referee is actually auctioning off the cards for an autism charity. So it's really not the problem. My problem is 
the disallowal, the disallowing of the Jude Bellingham goal, which made absolutely zero sense to me. What I couldn't. It took me five minutes to figure out what I think the ref thought had happened. Like it was, it was a making a murderer type of feeling. Like that guy is innocent. That guy is so clearly <laughs> innocent. Just let him go. No, that is not a foul. Now in Italian we call it gambatesa. Like you cannot mm-hmm. go with your straight leg. Okay, yeah, like we say that. studs up. Yeah, yeah, but. Time out. The studs were not. I mean, yeah, the studs were up, but it was it was legit. His leg was not completely straight. He was trying to get the ball, and then Ederson touches. Yeah, him. it was Ederson's mistake. It was and Ederson's mistake. And that's an away goal. That's a crucial, crucial away goal. And we know how much away goals and goals in general matter in the Champions League. So if I was a Borussia Dortmund fan, I would be absolutely fuming after that. It decision. kind of reminded me. Now, listeners, you know I put everything through the um, through Arsenal the lens of Arsenal, this. but it reminded me of the Van Persie goal against Barcelona that was disallowed for zero reason. When you just look back and go, wait, and you just have to you, you can't you just have to deal with it. Like in if in ten years, twenty years, we find out that football is in fact fixed, right, and moments of it are fixed, it will be decisions like this where we go. Oh man, we should have seen it. That's so obvious. If you know what I mean, yeah. like it was just so it's so out of nowhere. And the thing about Bellingham's leg not being like not being straight—that's not the issue. He was nowhere near Edison. He was trying to block the kick. He was trying to block the ball, and he did. Yeah, like, it yeah, was yeah. it was Edison's mistake. It was a dive from Edison as well to cover up for his mistake. And I think that absolutely changed the game. Um, Dortmund did get their goal, which they definitely deserved. Overall, they definitely deserved a goal. I would say still City were probably the better side, but Dortmund fans and the club itself will be fuming that they've come out of that a goal down. Their Twitter feed even just tweeted loads of question marks. Question marks, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) What the hell was that for? Um, So it's annoying, again, that a referee in performance is kind of overshadowed what was a very good game? There's a few things I wanted to highlight, or a few people I wanted to highlight. Namely, one of our favorites, you know who we're going to say, Phil, Phil Foden. Was, so ah, I was, and he was I, unbelievable. I was watching the game with my friends, and it got very frustrating at some point because I was like, take look at what Phil Foden does. And they were just like, yeah, he's very technical, but can he fucking shoot the ball? And he missed <laughs> so many chances. And it was such a shame because he did everything right. But at the last moment, he miscalculated the shot. Mm-hmm. I was super happy for him when he got that goal. And yeah, what a game and what a player. Really, like game changer on his own. He just, yeah. every every time he got the ball, he was direct. He was running at the, at the defenders. They could not keep up with him. And he is just looking more and more like an absolute world beater every time I see him play. We've got to mention again that Guardiola has managed him so bloody well and he knows the role, his role in the team so well that he's just slotted in and he's, it's now gone from will he be called up to the England squad to, okay, how do we build the England squad around him? If you know, he is unbelievable. Um, while we're talking about unbelievable players and unbelievable performances, Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, man. He's got he's a FIFA player. Like you can shoot with him with both feet from the distance. You can like thread the perfect passes. You can put put through balls. You can do anything you want with that guy at the midfield. Definitely 
I mean, definitely, arguably the best midfielder. Well, this was next on my list, Tommy, on my running order that I haven't been kind enough to send you is is Kevin De Bruyne. Minds to think alike. Uh, Well, that's why that's you know, full seldom differ. I think is the end of that. But yes, is he now at the level where we would call him an all-time great midfielder? I think. Or what does he need to do to get there? I mean, if he does very well with Belgium this this summer, because they've got the squad, they've got the squad this summer to actually make a statement, I think. And him and Lukaku linking up up front, that could be deadly. Um, I think that he, well, winning the Champions League with Manchester City would already be huge. And he's already he's already said, or I think he signed already a new contract for City. Like he has this week with very little fanfare. It was just yeah, five more years done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it seems like he's definitely going to become a, a Manchester City legend. I think that the majority of the the most football fans acknowledge the fact that he's up there in the conversation, top three midfielders in the world. I just think that a, a continental trophy would really, really make people say, "All right." There is nothing else he needs to do. He's one of the all-time greatest of this generation, especially. Well, this could be the season. I think this could be the season. And while we are on all-time great midfielders, look at this for a segue. Shall we move to Real Madrid-Liverpool, where Tony Cruz, who I have only said negative words about so far, absolutely schooled Liverpool. And that assist for Vinicius was beautiful. Now, you can look at Vinicius's first touch as well with the shoulder to just take out the defence, but that ball was incredible. I don't see too much of Tony Cruz, right? I've not watched too much of him. I just know, in general, he's a very good player. But watching the performance, he was absolutely just dictating play, pulling the strings, and he was fundamental to that um, Real Madrid performance, along with his midfield partner, Asensio, who was lively as fuck right but also i i mean this was the first time that i actually watched the i watched the sum of a liverpool game and i was very unimpressed with everything liverpool the team that two years ago one year ago i want to say was keeping me on the edge of my chair i was just like "Eh, this is so underwhelming and uh, it was kind of sad to see that performance by Trent Alexander-Arnold. Now, I know that people are being way too quick in judging him um, and in saying that he's basically at the core of all of Liverpool's problems, which I don't think it's true. But uh, something is happening at Liverpool this year. I don't know. I, I feel like the the feeling for the Liverpool fans after they won the Champions League, after they won the Premier League last year, it was, well, we've established the cycle. Right now, we're mm-hmm. going to make it hell for everybody in England and everybody in Europe. Well, turns out this year that in England, it's definitely not the case and quite possibly in Europe too. However, that one goal by Salah gives them quite a bit of a lifeline. However, I don't think that Real Madrid can be held scoreless in another 90 minutes of football. No, but well, I think... I that think... performance was very impressive. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think if it's if it's Anfield on a normal night with, you know, 50,000 people screaming, maybe there's going to be a turnaround. But in an empty Anfield with a Real Madrid that just looks so clinical, I think Liverpool are probably going to be out of this one. I think it will be close. I think Liverpool will maybe will could win on the night, but still go out. Um, 
Real Madrid just look like one of those sides, and they always are one of those sides, that no matter what happens, they're kind of like, you know, when you get like Germany or Italy in a in a tournament, no matter yeah. how bad they are, they always seem to manage to get to the semifinals or the quarterfinals, right? And Real Madrid are kind of oh, like that yeah. with the Champions League. They just, no matter what happens, they're always there in the la- in the latter stages, more or less, right? It's and, their competition, really. Well, this is it, exactly, exactly. And I think they are going to be looking at what happened in Munich last night, and they're going to be looking at what happened in Manchester and think, okay, maybe we could actually get another one here. Um, but while we're talking about Real Madrid, Vinicius is quickly becoming one of my favourite players to watch. Not only because Benzema thinks that he plays for the other team, but also because <laughs> he's quite skilled. Man, so when I saw that long throw from Tony Kroos to Vinicius, I thought about a friend of mine. We actually, his name is Nick. You met him one time at the stadium. We went watching a derby together. Oh, I think I remember the guy. Yeah, he yeah. drove us to the stadium. Uh, to the stadium. But um, um, he used to coach kids, children. Okay. And he said, I was like, what is the toughest thing to teach to children? He was like, man, it's not only children, it's adults too. How to defend on a long ball. He was like, because potentially that can fuck up your entire lineup. Mm-hmm. And with that pass, you see it very well. So you basically you basically cut out the entire midfield. You leave only the defensive back line. And unless they know exactly what they're doing, and unless, and I mean, Vinicius did it perfectly. He cut slightly to the right, boom, defense was gone. He was in front of the goalkeeper. So it was like, that is the times that I yelled the most when I have to teach how to defend on a long ball. It was like, but it's not easy to teach. And seeing Trent being cut out like that, I was like, oh no. There was a few moments for Trent. There was one where I think it was against Vinicius where he tries to almost Rabona tackle Vinicius. And it just seems so... I don't know, he was just confused and Vinicius just goes past him easily. It seems like the whole night they were just hammering Trent, hammering Trent. Now, it's it kind of sums his year up because after the Arsenal game, it was the second coming. He's back. Look, at, look Southgate, look what you missed out on. You're an idiot. And then he drops this performance against Real Madrid. It turns out Real Madrid are better than Arsenal. Who knew, right? Um, Real Madrid are a tougher test than... Um, Pepe running at you, right? So I think, obviously, when it comes to these top-level games, he is found one in defensively. This isn't. This is kind of fairly well known now. Like the, the the weaknesses in his game are the defensive side, and I think it's not a bad thing for players to go through bad form, right? No, I think they can come. They can come out the other side. He's still very young. He's gonna have these patches, especially when the rest of the team isn't performing to their peak. Um, I just hope that within the English media, they do tend to hammer players and I hope they don't hammer Trent too hard and it becomes a thing, if you know what I mean, because if it becomes a narrative, then it can spiral and then it can get out of hand. Look, he's still an incredible player. I think he's only, what, 21, if that, 22 maybe. He's like ridiculously young. Um, So I think there's still plenty of time for him, but it was not a good night. It doesn't help that, you know, Liverpool are missing their two main centre-backs. But that being said, so were Real Madrid. Real Madrid were missing Ramos right. and, Ver- and Varane, right? And Liverpool still, the performance, especially in the first half, just wasn't direct enough, wasn't energetic enough to cause them problems. I have to say, I have a lot of love for watching Sergio Ramos in the stand, looking like a hipster, directing everything. He's definitely going to be a manager, right? 
Mate, he looked like a female model on the side at first. When I saw the camera pass <laughs> in front of him, and they because I was watching the other game too, so I was just like, who is that? And then they film her again, and it's Sergio Ramos. Hello, Sergio. Hello, oh, Sergio. With the long, like, blonde highlights on his hair. Yeah, I think he's going to be a manager. And I, can, I could see him being a manager, actually. Um, I reckon he, he was he was looking very he was looking very suave in that stand, and he was doing more shouting than Zidane, I think. So he definitely fancies himself as it. Um, yeah. By by the way, another great thing about Vinicius Junior. Ooh, that touch, baby! Long balls. He puts oh. them down like they were really just like f- petals from a flower. Like it is. Know. It's so delicate, and it's it's his. Every time I've seen him play, he just doesn't. The only thing he thinks about is running at goal, running at goal. That's all he does. Get the ball, run at goal. He's able to dribble past players. His finishing is very good. And this year, he's actually he got off to a bit of a slow start at Real Madrid. I think he was very very highly rated when they signed him. Last season, he only managed to get five goals and five assists. But this season, he already has six goals and six assists. So he's already doing better. And last year, three of those goals in the Champions League and two of those assists in the Champions League. So he is becoming their key man in this tournament as well, Um, which for Real Madrid fans will only make them love him more. I think if they can choose a competition for any player to turn up in, it would be the Champions League. So any team that comes up against them is going to be in trouble who is it going to be in the next round? Chelsea or yeah, Porto, right? Yeah, right. Which, I mean, yeah, Real Madrid can really look at as this one that is unfolding as an opportunity to go to the final once again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they are going to play probably, unless Liverpool turn it around, the winner between Chelsea and Porto, which, unless Porto turn it around in incredible fashion, it should be Chelsea. Now, what a goal by Mount, man. Oh. He is becoming now. I, it's it's taken me a while to get on the Mount train um, and kind on of Mount uh, Mountain, the Mount Mountain. Let's say that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm climbing the Mount Mountain, and for a long time, people have been saying how crucial he is to that team and how exciting he is. And I'm finally, maybe because I'm watching him more. I don't know. I'm finally starting to see it. But he has become so so crucial to that team. He is just that spark of creativity that pass that shot he's always there at the key moment this was his first champions league goal which i was quite surprised to hear um but in a game that chelsea really struggled in you need players that are clinical and calm and that's what he is is this is the thing i feel like the 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 final score line doesn't actually it that doesn't say much about how the game really went. It wasn't mm-hmm. the most exciting game of football. Porto did attack a lot, did have a good XG and everything, but there was never a moment in the game when you were like, oh, oh now they're going to score it. Now mm-hmm. they're going to score it. It was a very like tactical kind of game. Yeah, and... it seemed like a, a lot of chances from set pieces. <laughs> like... Yeah, and I finally found it, Rory. Another team in Europe that plays with a three-man defense constantly. It's Chelsea. So there we go. There we go. Um, and by the way, I wanted going back to Trent for a second. I was thinking you said that last year he was like the second coming of Jesus, which is a sentence that you also used for Teo Hernandez. And guess what? They play in the same position. So. I was thinking, isn't maybe a good, well-balanced fullback what a lot of teams would pay a lot of money for? I think fullbacks are becoming increasingly important in football, as we've seen. Like Liverpool with Robertson and Trent Alexander, they kind of 
revolutionized almost the wingback role and how key wingbacks can be to a team. Yeah, I think they're only becoming more and more valuable. I think there's a lot of teams in Europe who need one. Arsenal have got one who's half decent, but he's always injured. I would kill for two decent fullbacks. And I think a lot of teams are going to be looking. PSG are after Bellerin, which is quite a win. Yeah, but, because yeah. put Trent or Theo Hernandez in a 3-5-2 like Chelsea's or mm-hmm. Milan's, I don't think they're going to do anything bad. I think they're going to have a killer of a game. But Trent had to defend. And now there is no VVD covering up for his mm-hmm. mistakes. In AC Milan's defense, it's, they've got two solid center backs. But still, if you play in a four-man defense, you've got to defend too, buddy. You cannot mm-hmm. really, you can't have a third man that is only a center back. So I think that there are a lot of offensive-minded fullbacks, but mm-hmm. they don't have that balance that you need to play in a four-man defense. This said, um, I think that the the that 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 game was very technical between uh, tactical, sorry, between mm-hmm. uh, Chelsea and Porto, kind of underwhelming. And in the end, uh, well, of course, there was time for Timo, Mer- Timo Werner to miss another goal. <laughs> However, this one was not a sitter; it was header that went over the bar. He's just and, never going to score, is he? He's never and score. he also passed the virus to Kai Havertz, who was about to tap in, and he fell down. But that's because he had a fucking bulldog of a man right behind him. <laughs> I saw I saw a stat about Havertz, which was quite damning. Which was he didn't have a single shot or create a single chance the entire game. Yeah, which is the definition of quiet, right? Yeah, considering that we chose him for our five aside, (laughs) I'm kind of worried. But um, uh, you chose him for our fantasy. I'm distancing myself. But if I was a Chelsea fan, I wouldn't. I wouldn't get too excited about this game. I think they're going to pass the lag. But then if you have to play against Real Madrid or Liverpool, I think that you will need to step the game up a little bit. And for the lazy questions section, I found the laziest question asked by a journalist to Jorginho after the game. Jorginho, would you rather play the Champions League final with Chelsea or the Euro Championship final with Italy. <laughs> you, was this guy nine see, years old? Yeah, you see the guy, he's just like, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, but both? Like, I cannot be yeah, one. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like, I've got, my, I've got my fellow Italians killing me if I say the Champions League final and all the Chelsea fans killing me if I say the, the Euro Championship final. <laughs> what kind of question is that? You, you hear a few where you're like, the players, you can see them trying not to roll their eyes and be like, well, where the hell has this guy come from? Like, so, two teachings for the kids listening. Don't ask lazy questions when you do an interview. And the second lesson is, don't go live in Germany. Did you see the weather in Munich last night? Oh, it's brutal. It was brutal. I, I am gutted that they didn't get the orange football out. We need the orange ball. The I want to see. Dope. I like it. It feels like forever since I've seen the orange ball. I think I remember watch, watching Crew when I was a kid, and it's snowing so much. That they, and I was so excited seeing like this orange football. And I used to have Sabutio with the orange ball. I'd always play with that. Just the novelty alone. Uh, so I was very disappointed. But nothing else about this game disappointed me. Both of the teams just absolutely went for it. The first half was insanity. Bayern Munich, now it's kind of the obvious needs to be said. But I'm going to say it. With Lewandowski, this game is completely different. The score is completely different. PSG are not in this tie, right? What are you saying about Chupomoting, man? Come on. <laughs> I've got a lot of respect for him. We've said it before, Tommy. He's, for his he has 
He has got the best agent in the game. He keeps falling upwards. I'm impressed with this guy. And every time, I, like every time, he does seem to pop up with key goals. I remember he scored for PSG against Barca. He got one of the key goals in the comeback. He scored the first goal for Bayern to kind of keep them in the game last night. But, so, let's take us through the game. Mbappe basically just never misses. Every time he gets a shot, he scores, and nobody can keep up with him. I think I saw a stat that he took 11 steps in 1.82 seconds. Which is also a fun game that you can try to play in your garden, in your front yard, and look like an absolute idiot to everybody. Well, this, you know, this is what I spent last night doing, getting the girlfriend to time me, you know? How many was that? How many was that? In the Um, living room, I bet that the the neighbor living downstairs was having a killer of a night. (laughs) Turns out I'm not as fast as Mbappe. But basically... He hit a ridiculous, ridiculous pace. And every time he gets a shot, it just goes in. But the first goal, Neuer needs to have a look at himself there because that ball goes straight through him. Now, I know Mbappe hits it so hard. But for me, Neuer has to be doing better there. You know what? Mbappe did the same thing on both goals. He made the keeper believe that he was going on the far post and shot Mm -hmm. it on the near post. Now, from my very long goalkeeping experience and very successful <laughs> as well. No, but I was listening to a commentary that was actually pretty good. And he said, we don't see those mistakes often by Neuer, but credit goes to Mbappé that absolutely sold him on diving towards the second post. And then when you see the shot coming your way, you have to kind of retract your arms and mm-hmm. try to catch it last second. We don't see those mistakes by Neuer often. The the snow was coming down very heavily. He had a bunch of good saves throughout the game, but also nice assist by Neymar. That was a very nice assist. There's an identical assist he has for Messi for Barcelona as well. Someone shared it on Twitter and it is identical. It's not the first time he's done that kind of looped dropped ball over the defense. Yeah, beautiful assist. If we're talking about goalkeepers, hats off again to Kilo Navas, who is... I think his reputation, again, is kind of booming or coming back because he kept PSG in that game at various points. Um, but Bayern Munich were absolutely all over PSG. The one player who did frustrate me was Leroy Sane. If he could... We were talking about Foden being a bit more decisive on the ball, right? Or picking the right pass. Foden is an upgrade on Sane. <laughs> and that's why I think they sold Sane. Because Sane, there was one point where he hit a shot from about 35 yards that he had no right hitting, and he spams it miles over the net. But then when he's five yards in front of goal, he doesn't shoot, he finds an extra pass, or he picks the wrong pass. I just feel like he he had a really frustrating night, and he needs to get just a bit more clinical, a bit more decisive in front of goal. Um but what a game. What a game. And I'm so excited that we have a whole other 90 minutes of this. Yeah, because when you think about it, 3-2 away, as huge of a result as it is, it's not that great mm. of a margin that you have going into the second leg. No, well, not at all. Not at all. And we've seen before, I know it's a long time ago now, but we've seen that Paris Saint-Germain can collapse in Europe, right? Especially at the Parc de France. So I think... Bayern Munich will definitely fancy this. I'm not sure if Lewandowski is back for the second leg. I feel like he might be out for the second leg as well. I would have to double check that. But if he is back, that could be huge. I think Bayern will still fancy their chances. I also need to give a quick 
shout out to we were talking about the best midfielders in the world at the moment well then we need to talk about Kimmich okay he created 10 chances in this game which is the most in a Champions League game since Ozil versus Tottenham in 2011 where he created 12 chances so Kimmich has always proven absolutely vital to this team and I think maybe he's not rated enough yet. Maybe people just aren't talking about him outside the Bundesliga. But what a player. The Bayern youth prospect just keeps rolling him out, right? I feel like he started off as a fullback and then kind of moved to midfield. It's like one of those, it's like that Müller position that it's kind of difficult to depict Mm -hmm. at first. And I think they tailored one to him. But as of now, I can see him really playing only at Bayern Munich. Um, I cannot see him really oh, yeah, fit yeah. into any other system besides that one. And another thing that we need to mention, uh, I don't know, maybe defend better on long balls, Bayern Munich, because that as good as pinpoint as that Neymar pass was, you got to drop when you see a ball like that coming. You got to turn around and drop. Yeah, well, exactly. And Hansi Flick, to be fair to him, he corrected his mistake quite quickly. He started um, Sula ahead of Alfonso Davies. And in the first half, he did bring Sula off and brought on Davies, which seemed to kind of correct the defence a little bit more. And they were able to keep up with Mbappe, Neymar and Di Maria. So Hansi Flick did see that that problem and, and kind of corrected it quickly. Right. Talking of, Hansi, talking of Hansi Flick, that's his first ever defeat in the Champions League crazy wow yeah first ever defeat in the champions league and another kind of mind-blowing stat just because we were talking about chelsea and the xg and this game in the xg so at the end of the first half i have to thank duncan alexander for this on twitter at the end of the first half bayern and porto had had 23 shots together and scored no goals chelsea and psg by the end of the first half had had three shots collectively and scored Three goals. Damn. So both <laughs> games kind of showing the similar trend of, you know, I love XG, but it's not the end of the world, right? It's all about the G, not the XG. Yeah, the G is a big part in football. We've already covered that. <laughs> but I think this is the only fixture of this Champions League that is really wide open going into the second leg. I think Man City Dortmund. Ah, uh, you think it's open too? I think. I think. I think it's. I think it's really open. I think Man City. This is a big test for City. They've never really stepped up in the Champions League yet. I think beating a side like Dortmund would be a big statement. Um, with who would be on the other side? My mind's just completely gone. Um, in the semis, it would be. Ah, uh, no. Okay, Man City will face either if they go through either PSG or Man City. Either PSG or yeah, Bayern. So. Yeah, this could be a big test for them. Obviously, bigger tests lie ahead, but I think Dortmund, that tie isn't over yet. I think the only one where I think they could probably relax is Chelsea. But I feel like we kind of deserve a PSG-Man City, like 5-4 in the first leg and 6-7 in the second leg. The Arab Emirates derby. I don't know what it's going to be. The the human rights derby. Yeah. (laughs) The derby of non-existing human rights, the petrodollar <laughs> derby or something like that. But it wasn't only Champions League this week, as finally almost all teams in Serie A are on 
even games. And last night, I don't know if you guys did a marathon, but before the Champions League, we had Juventus-Napoli and Inter-Sassuolo. Now, Pirlo this morning said, I read this quote that was reported by many newspapers. I don't know why they reported it, but it's if only we had had the same attitude in every game we played throughout the season. Mm. Wow. Yeah, well, that's your job, isn't it? Yeah, when I teach the third conditional to my students, I teach them that it's the conditional of regret. And you usually use it to describe a situation in which you look like an idiot if you're using it to talk about yourself. And I just feel like if I was a manager, I wouldn't say a sentence like this. Like, the you should be using the passive. Make it sound like it's not your fault. Right. The game was lost. <laughs> like... Andrea, if you're listening and you want to go coach abroad, especially in England, we've got you. Tailored classes to not use the third conditional anymore in your in your career. <laughs> but Juventus won quite comfortably, I would say, against the Napoli side that most people expected to really show up in this game. But it was not quite like that. Juventus really stepped it up. Cristiano Ronaldo missed an absolute sitter mm-hmm. in the opening minutes, then really recovered himself, his mistake by scoring a crucial goal. That Chiesa Juventus- assist as well. Oh, my God, the dribble. Woo! And one, one thing that I noticed about Cristiano Ronaldo celebrating with Chiesa, he like really looked at him like, you are the man. Like, you have been... The guy is unreal. The guy is unreal. I just can't stand him as a person and the way he looks, but he's <laughs> incredibly <laughs> talented. And Every, I hate everything about him, except how he can play football. Yeah, like, if uh, we ever try to interview Federico Chiesa, we really hope that he doesn't listen to this episode or many more. It's, it's just unfortunate that you've got a face that l- could be quite easy to punch. It's just unlucky. There we go. There we go. And <laughs> Napoli, Napoli did have a chance of coming back. They did shoot on target quite a few times. Buffon had a pretty good game. In the end, they managed to score a penalty to make it 2-1, but it wasn't enough. And Juventus walk out winners in this crucial fixture. If it wasn't for Inter also winning quite comfortably against Sassuolo. Pretty comfortably. Pretty comfortably. I think the second half, you definitely just let Sassuolo tire themselves out. Like I don't think you did anything second half. No, we didn't do much. And uh, we could have, at a point, it could have gone really Mm 4-1 for us. Uh, There were a few situations in which we really could have scored another one. And uh, Sanchez tried to chip the goalkeeper. Did you see that one? (laughs) That would have been a sick goal. But, man, you used to have the confidence. Come on, just like... Just bang it. Yeah, just bang it. For scoring goals, just like bang it in. And uh, Lautaro and Lukaku. I mean, Lukaku, first header in the season... Uh, 21st goal, I want to say, this season. Um, and also a beautiful, beautiful assist for mm. Lautaro Martinez. It kind of felt like he waited a little too much to pass him the ball. Now it was all calculated. Those two guys know each other pretty well. And I'm sure that all the detractors of Inter Milan's game will now be able to say, oh, that was the usual Inter counter-attack goal. Yeah, okay, whatever, man. <laughs> I'll take it. Like, Also, I need to, to be the voice of reason on this loving. Sassuolo did have a shout for a penalty before that counter-attack. Yeah, but literally, the when you look at the penalty, the Vrai literally pinches the shirt of the guy. Yeah, it looks yeah, like yeah. the okay emoji a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like 
And I mean, it's a soft one. It was a soft call, but I just think that there was a shout for it. I think they did review it for. Mm. They did review it at the VAR after Inter scored the goal. They sat down, looked at it, um, and then they said it was not a penalty. And uh, yeah, just another little break towards the title. <laughs> it's uh, getting so, it's getting so close. I'm getting excited. I don't want to ruin it. Spain next week. <laughs> I don't know if we should do it, man. I swear to God, if they seal the title when I'm in Spain. <laughs> Mate, you can't do that. Oh, man. Dude, I don't know, man. It's either now or kind of never. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm going to say something very stupid, but an, a loss against the Napoli... <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, no, 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 no. You just need to get this boxed off as soon as possible. No, yeah, That's yeah. all it is. We need to do that. One other thing that I want to say, Paolo Dybala back to scoring goals for mm. Juventus. For some reason, we love talking about these type of things, but we never mentioned that him and McKenney were not called up for the game against Torino because they were throwing a little party. The ritual the- party, apparently. Every Wednesday, that's what Dybala's girlfriend said. And no well, we know what we're doing next Wednesday, Tommy. Yeah, we're going to Turin to celebrate <laughs> with the boys. But um, um, no, Dybala scores again. And uh, don't forget that the guy has barely played this year. He wants contract renewal. He wants to get close to $12 million a year. He wants to stay at Juventus. No, man, his contract is expiring, but that's what he's going to ask for. He's going to ask for... Something around the 10 million, I think. I can't and believe he the, wants to stay. I'd be out of the place. They've barely played him, and the guy's world class. The the thing is that I don't think that Juventus would have the, like, if he asked that much money, I don't think that Juventus would keep him, but he could go away pretty much on a free. So we shall see development. Arteta, are you listening? Are you listening, Arteta? Just get to Bala, please. Dibala, and I think that is very salty because Juventus have put him on the plate on more than one mm. occasion. And he's just like, really? Well, yesterday when he celebrated, he t- pulled out a shirt that said something. And I was really hoping it said something like 12 million, not a dime less. <laughs> yeah, yeah, adesso. <laughs> now, 12 million adesso. But yeah. since we are in the Serie A, what games do we have to look forward to this weekend? Cope with me as I open my app, since I haven't learned how to memorize them all before we go. But Crotone have yet another opportunity to put some more points under their belt. However, it's going to be difficult because they're playing Spezia away. Parma are playing AC Milan at home this weekend. AC Milan want to keep winning because right now they are only four points into the Champions League spots. So now every game is a final for AC Milan. And Parma, they could, they could, I mean, they could survive. Parma have been so terrible this year, Tommy. But they could survive. They're on 20 points and Torino are at 24 above the relegation zone. So I think that these are the games that AC Milan should be worried about. Also, while we're talking about Palmer, check out the plans for their new stadium. It looks incredible. If their team looks half as good as that stadium, the glory days will be back. I'm just, like I put on Twitter, I'm just worried that it'll be a fantastic world-class stadium in Serie B, but we'll see. Yeah, dude, that would be beautiful. And then Udinese Torino at 8.45 on Saturday night. While on Sunday, we'd start at lunchtime with Inter Milan visiting Cagliari. 
uh, no, sorry, Inter Milan playing Cagliari at home. Barella is ruled out for the game because he picked up another yellow card yesterday. So he will not be able to play against his former team. Then we've got Elas Verona Lazio for the who is most oh. right wing among us, bro, <laughs> derby. Then Juventus Genoa. This game usually is interesting, especially when they played in Genoa, but it's one of those sides that Juventus fans really hate because they always put up a fight against them. Sampdoria Napoli and Napoli need to keep winning if they want Champions League. Right now, they are two points below Atalanta, who are sitting mm-hmm. fourth. And then we've got Roma-Bologna at 6 p.m. And the Sunday will be wrapped up by Fiorentina-Atalanta at 8.45. One last game on Monday... Benevento Sassuolo at 8.45 p.m. But guys, I said it already on Monday. Keep an eye on Serie A if you want a very interesting Champions League race. I quite like the sound of that. Fiorentina, who are they playing? Fiorentina? Fiorentina. Well, I had it open one second ago. Fiorentina-Atalanta. That sounds that could be an interesting game. I like the sound of that one. That might be my Sunday night watching. Just let me tell you, AC Milan, second, 60 points. Juventus, 59. Atalanta, 58. Napoli, 56. Lazio, 52. Roma, 51. Guys, I think Roma are not going to make it, but between Napoli, Atalanta, Juventus, and Milan, it really is a fight. Keep your eye on that one. Rory, where should we go next? Let's go to the Premier League, where... We um kind of this weekend there's a few intriguing games games that I've highlighted for this weekend, starting with Liverpool versus Aston Villa Saturday at four o'clock at Anfield. Last time this is the return leg of the seven two. So last time Villa absolutely battered Liverpool seven two. Oh my god, I forgot. Will Liverpool be able to turn over this aggregate score and restore some pride? Only time will tell. Both teams have kind of been struggling for form, um, but both off the back of a win. So Villa beat Fulham last weekend and Liverpool, of course, beating Arsenal last weekend. If Villa win, they could go level with Everton in eighth place. But if Liverpool do win, they could go level with West Ham in fourth. So this is kind of crucial to Liverpool's European dreams. If Villa do win, this will be the first time they've done the double over Liverpool since 92-93 when Ron Atkinson was the manager. So this is the first year of the Premier League we're talking. But for Villa, it's going to be difficult because Grealish looks like he's still going to be out. And Ross Barkley, it's all going a bit wrong for him again. He kind of has fits of form and then it all kind of falls apart. Obviously, because Villa don't know if he's going to be a Chelsea player or a Villa player next year. And he's had some injury worries. Dean Smith has kind of let him sit on the bench. And now there's words of them falling out. And it feels like maybe this thing that felt like a renaissance in Ross Barkley's career could have been a false dawn. And maybe he's going to find himself on the bench at Stamford Bridge instead. It's a shame because him and Grealish together were playing incredibly well. They had a great partnership and it looked like he was going to hit some of the promise that we saw in the early part of his career. So that's the first game. That's Liverpool versus Villa on Saturday at four o'clock. The next one, Sunday, West Ham versus Leicester. Now, this is going to be, this is a full-on European place fight between two teams. I don't think anybody, well, maybe Leicester, 
But five years ago, you would not have thought that these two teams would be fighting each other for a Champions League spot. And here we are. Yeah, 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 man. This is going to be a good one. Leicester, West Ham, kind of like an hipsterish fixture as well. It is a little bit, right? It is a little bit. So Leicester are currently in third on 56 points. West Ham on fourth, in fourth on 52 points. So this could put them within one point of the Foxes. Both teams have kind of been inconsistent. Leicester have got two wins in their last five. West Ham, two wins in their last five. So I think the pressure's kind of getting to both of the teams now. We saw last year that Leicester kind of just completely fell out of the Champions League in the second half of the season. So they're going to be desperate to make sure that doesn't happen again. Good news for the Foxes is that Madison could be back to full fitness as well as Pereira, who are two really important players for the, for that team. For West Ham, it's been a bad injury week as both Antonio and Rice have been confirmed out to four, four to six weeks. So two absolutely key players there. Declan Rice especially, they're going to really miss him in midfield. Mark Noble is a West Ham legend. He's a great player, but his legs have gone. And as for Antonio, the fact that West Ham sold Haller in January now and didn't get a replacement this could look really foolish and ultimately cost them what could be an incredible season. I'm still backing them to somehow stay fifth and get the Europa League, but both those players being out is going to be is going to have a big deciding factor on that. But this will be a really interesting game, and this is on Sunday at three. And that says fifteen oh five. I don't know if that's my notes or that's no, a no, weird kickoff I've time. Got it to three oh five p.m. Okay, so, I thought my notes were wrong. That's fine. Fifteen oh five Central European time. Um, I wonder why that is. Anyway, then and then at five thirty, we've got the, the big one. Do you want to call it the big one? We have the big one. Talking of return legs from massive batterings, we have Spurs versus Man United. Now, of course, last time out, this was 6-1 to Spurs at Old Trafford. So definitely time for Oli to get a bit of revenge. Both these teams are looking in very different shape than from the last time they met. Spurs were looking confident, dominant. Yeah, that was when Tottenham won the league, right? That was exactly, yeah, when the, the, the first team yeah. to win the league in October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah first yeah, team yeah. to ever do it. Yeah. <laughs> so both teams are looking in much different shape. Spurs, obviously, we know after the Europa League nightmare, they've kind of got themselves back on track a little bit um, with a win and a draw against Newcastle, which they should have won, but Joe Willock was there to get the gut punch in, so not quite. Whereas Man United... They have now won their last three Premier League games in a row, and they've not lost in their last 16 games. They've lost one in their last 16 games in all competitions. So Manchester United really looking like really, really confident and like a good side. I think maybe, maybe they are a good team after all. I don't know. But the worry for Spurs, and this is something I kind of, I realized that I've been checking, you know, checking the goals every weekend, who scored, who scored. And there's a name I've not seen in a while, Son Heung-min, he has not been scoring. So his last goal in the Premier League was the 7th of February against West Brom. And his last goal at all was on February the 18th in the Europa League against Wolfsburger. So I think this could be, well, it is one of the problems that Spurs Spurs are facing. We've talked about before how they're kind of a two-man team between Kane and Son. Like if they don't score, no one else really scores. Well, if one of them stops scoring, then it really is... If Kane doesn't score, then who scores? So I think for this game, 
I'm going to say United win it. I'm going to say United are going to get a win here, but I think it's going to be an entertaining game. Probably not as many goals as last time, but those are my kind of three key games of the weekend. Elsewhere around the Premier League, we do have um, Man City versus Leeds on Saturday, which will definitely be worth a watch. Um, in New- in relegation battle-ish, we have Burnley versus Newcastle, Sheffield United against Arsenal. We have to fucking win this weekend. We have to. Um, West Brom taking Southampton, taking on Southampton, Brighton taking on Everton, and Palace taking on Chelsea, and Fulham taking on Wolves. They are all the Premier League games. Quite an exciting weekend coming up, I think. Um, a few chances um, for the teams in the relegation battle to get a bit of a step up, but we'll see. And of course, we are purposely not previewing the Europa League games because we don't want to sound like absolute idiots making the wrong predictions while oh, I'm listening to the episode tomorrow morning on Friday. But Ajax Roma, Arsenal, Slavia Prague, Dinamo Zagreb, Villarreal and Granada. Man United are all tonight at 9 p.m. Central European time. Rory, are you feeling confident about the Gunners? There's a lot of pressure on us this game. After the horrific, which I don't think we've actually talked about, the racism incident were between Rangers and Slavia Prague in the last round. I'm not sure if we did talk about it. But after that, um, the the Rangers player who was racially abused is an ex-Arsenal player as well. I feel like the world of football is kind of saying, come on, Arsenal, you need to absolutely school these clowns right and i'm just not convinced we will <laughs> so i feel like the pressure isn't gonna help that is the but, pressure that arsenal don't need yeah well him right yeah and but it's time for us to you know kick racism out of football i want to see the slavia Prague players getting kicked six foot in the air i want to see you know thomas party taking names but we'll see maybe tomorrow morning i'll be crying and thinking my God, I'm done with European football. We shall see what happens. It's two legs, so possibly, quite possibly, two disappointments in the matter of one week. But, Thank Rory, you. very quickly, let's round up what's going to happen in France, Spain, and Germany this weekend. In Spain, guys, I've got only one thing to say. It's two words, and it's El Clásico, baby. One of the most crucial El Clásicos that, as we were saying, we've ever seen ever since Ronaldo left Madrid. Atletico Madrid are first at 66 points, Barcelona second on 65, and Real Madrid third on 63. I think that Simeone and these boys will be praying for a draw. This game is going to be on Saturday night at 9 p.m., while Atletico Madrid play Real Betis on Sunday Oh, night. that's a tricky one as well. That is a tricky one. It's a tricky one. They Their last five games, it's three wins, one loss, and one draw. And but if here, I'm not mistaken, Suarez is injured? Suarez might be injured. I feel I, like he's out for a while, and this is, it's all all kind of adding up to an Atletico yeah, fail. He is, he is injured. So yeah. what they need, very Simeone-like defensive football and the spark of a goal coming from somebody. Okay, that's what they need. Koke is the talisman. He always pops up with goals. Just get that one and then just stand on the goal line. Just get the job done. And we're crossing our fingers for a draw between Real Madrid and Barcelona. Something exciting like 3-4. Three, 4-4. Four, four, yeah, 4-4. Four, four, yeah, 3-3. Three, three, something like that. Rory, what do we have in Germany? In Germany, we have... Let me go down my notes. In Germany, we have 
Fourth, taking on third as Frankfurt go against Wolfsburg in a kind of Champions League fight. Um, I think this will be a really interesting game. Veghorst, as always, definitely worth keeping an eye out. Time Wolfsburg 1-2-1 with two goals from said Veghorst. So he has been absolutely crucial to them this season and a player that I think a few Premier League teams will be looking at this summer. Also around the European race, we have Stuttgart versus Dortmund. So can Dortmund try and make a push for the Champions League. There's still seven points adrift after a kind of massive drop in form. But if Stuttgart do win, they can go one point behind both Leverkusen and Dortmund. But if Dortmund lose, they could go a massive 11 points out of the Champions League spots. So a big weekend for Dortmund. And even more so, the fact that last time they played, Stuttgart beat Dortmund 5-1 in Dortmund. So this is not a game that Borussia are going to feel confident for, but one I think is worth watching. That is on Saturday at half past six. Then, by now, you will know that I love a relegation battle. And in Germany, we have Cologne versus Mainz. So this is 15th against 16th. Köln are now in the play-out space, and Mainz are just directly above them. They are separated by two points, but Cologne haven't won in seven, and they've only drawn two in that time, whereas Mainz are now unbeaten in five with two wins. So it looks like these are two teams where their momentum is definitely going in opposite directions. So this will be a crucial game in the relegation fight. This is on Sunday at six o'clock. The big teams, without being too rude to the others, the big teams we have, RB Leipzig are going to be playing... Um, oh, God, I thought I had them. Ah, RB Leipzig are going to be playing Werder Bremen away at Saturday, on Saturday at half past three. Bayern Munich are playing Union Berlin on Saturday at half past three. And Schalke, poor old Schalke, they're playing Augsburg, who are also slowly getting dragged into the relegation zone on Sunday at half past three. So if you want to see Schalke and kind of give the boys a cheer, that is where they will be. They have said, they have said, you're on mute. Oh, they need it, I was going to say. (laughs) They They do do need it. They do need it. And good news for Schalke fans. Apparently, Mustafi is never to play a game there again because he has fallen out with the manager and the coaches already. Good work, Musty. We are so glad to see the back of you. And finally, Rory, you've got quite an interesting story in the French League, Coupe de France type of deal. So, if you, the regular listeners or our favorite people, you will remember that. A couple of weeks ago, a lowly fifth division side knocked out, knocked Marseille out of the French Cup with a beautiful 2-0 win and a fully deserved 2-0 win. Canet-Roussillon, I believe they are called. Well, they've now found themselves in the quarterfinals of the French Cup. They beat Boulogne, um, who are in the national division, so just one above them. They beat them 1-0 on Wednesday night and now find themselves in the quarterfinals. Now, the French Cup is an fascinating competition it is the biggest cup competition in the world and they invite teams from all of france's territories so from martinique from reunion island from all over the world all these teams have the right to play in the french cup so i love this competition and it's great to see quarterfinals a fifth division team that's like they're semi-professional they're not even semi-professional like it is insanity so keep 
an eye out for Canet Roussillon. The draw has not been made yet. I tried my best to find out when it was, but my French is terrible, so I'll get back to you. I couldn't find out when it was. Beyond that, in France, in the league, we do have um, PSG without Neymar, as he is banned from his red card against Lille in the last round. PSG will be playing Strasbourg away on Saturday at 5 o'clock. Fellow title contenders Lille are playing on Friday again at 9 o'clock away to Mets. And Leon, who are desperately trying to keep up their fight of a, t- a title challenge, are away to Angers on Sunday at nine o'clock. And then the final, final team who are in the t- in the title race, Monaco, are taking on Dijon. Winless in eleven, I believe it is now. Dijon. They are playing away at Monaco on Sunday at five past five. That is our league earn very quick league earn roundup. PSG have lost eight games this season, and Lille have lost three. Wow, that's a huge deal. Wow, and they're still pretty close. Holy crap, yeah, that is. Lille yeah, a nine. lot of draws in there, eh? A lot yeah, of draws. Nine, nine draws for Lille and three draws for PSG. Definitely an exciting league to follow until the end. I might be cheering for the dogs, or better, the underdogs. Oh, so, Rory, right now we have a very particular weekly topic. We've got our first female guest. She phoned us from Spain, but she's very Italian and she is very much my mother as well. So, <laughs> can you can you give an introduction of the weekly topic to our listeners, Rory? Uh, we haven't changed tact as a podcast. We haven't decided to, to return. We haven't decided to turn into a family podcast. We're not just desperate for guests and got Tommy's mum on. We are, in fact, going to be talking about, and it's something that me and Tommy have talked about a lot um, off mic, about your granddad's career as a football commentator. Yeah, he was uh, Arnaldo Verri. You will hear everything about him, but he was a sport broadcaster back in the 1960s and 70s. I've got plenty. That's the reason why we talked about him a lot, because I've got plenty of Inter Milan trinkets and mm-hmm. silver plates and medal that were given to my grandfather for commentating their games. Definitely was one of the big reasons why I got a liking for this team. And um, unfortunately, when he passed away, it was in 2013. I didn't talk to him as much as I would have wanted. But luckily, my mom was literally the daddy's girl. So she <laughs> knows everything, every, everything about his career, everything that he covered over the years. And she also has quite a few fun stories. So guys, we are going to introduce this new weekly topic with a particular theme sound, but we will tell you everything about it during the interview. Enjoy. And welcome, welcome everybody to our weekly topic section. Featuring the first, Rory, the first woman guest that we've ever had on our pod. This is, we're finally, we're getting some diversity up here. And we're delighted to announce a guest. So, Tommy, I'll let you go. Yeah, it took only 40 episodes to bring a female voice to the show. (laughs) We're catching up with the time. She's finally here. Her name is Valeria Verri, but she's best known by many as my mom. How are you, my mom? I'm fine, and I'm very happy to be the first woman in your show. 
We are very, very happy to have you here. Rory and I have been waiting for this interview for quite some time. We're very excited for it. And we are going to relive the career of my grandfather, a huge source of inspiration for me growing up. He was uh, uh, quite quite a prominent figure in Italian, in Italian sports journalism uh, throughout the 1960s, 70s. And I want to say, mom, also 80s, maybe? Yes, also 80s until 87, 88 uh, with the Formula One at that moment. Mm -hmm. wow. football. But for the 60s and 70s, it was mainly on football. Mm -hmm. So before we start, um, can you tell our listeners what is the music that we were listening to uh, during the transition right before this interview? Uh, this was the um, music that uh, introduced the very important show, Italian uh, show on the radio, uh, called uh, um, Tutto il calcio minuto per minuto. It is still there after so many years. And the uh, uh, music is from Herb Albert, uh, a jazz uh, man in this orchestra. And uh, the, also the music is always the same. They never changed it. So when I hear this music, I go back to like in a time machine uh, uh, to the 60s. Uh, when I used to hear this music, I knew that after a few seconds, a few minutes, I would hear my father's voice or from either from a football field, either from uh, uh, Rai in the Rai studios in Milan, because sometimes he was there uh, keeping, uh, collecting all the results from the different uh, football fields, because at the time, the, of course, the only way to do it was on the phone. So he phoned to the uh, field uh, of Brescia field to know if uh, Brescia had, <laughs> had scored a few goals or not, or better, they phoned him to tell him that Brescia had scored um, a goal. Mm -hmm, because this was the new thing, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was the new thing about this radio show that still goes on nowadays, is that all the games were playing at the same time and you would yeah. simply play a little trumpet, I believe, to call the attention of the central studio and say, hey, here in Cagliari, we've got a goal from Zola, for yes, example. Yes. Sometimes not all, not all the football fields were uh, connected. Uh, mm -hmm. This that there were not journalists in every covering every uh, thirteen. You know there were thirteen um, uh, football matches on the that they played also a game. You had to to guess who was uh, Toto Calcio. Who was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was an old form of the modern schedina. You could bet on football, right? Ah, okay. With okay, Toto right. Calcio. But let's not go into detail, mom, yet. This is one yes, thing yeah, with yeah, my yeah. mom. We've got to be careful, Rory. <laughs> Sometimes you can just go with the hand like this if she's going too into deep. Let's take a step backwards. Exactly. Yes. Backwards. So... My grandfather, Arnaldo Verri, was born in August 8th, 1927. Tell no, us a little bit. 1925. Oh, sorry. I was, sorry. Thinking, I was thinking of the grandmothers. 1925. Very quickly, mom, a little bit. His upbringing, the war. I want you to condense it. Be a super powerful journalist. In two oh, okay. minutes, give me everything from his childhood to when he moved to Milan. 
So he was born in this little village uh, in, uh, the, in Italian northern countryside. And then he moved uh, to Domodossola when uh, he was 10 years old. And when he started, uh, I think around 12 years old, uh, 13, to play football. And he went to school, of course, and he played football. He lived with his mother. If his father was, um, died when he was uh, only two years old. Uh, and so he was the only man in the family, let's say that, uh, an only son and the only man in the family. Uh, he, he was very passionate about uh, football and he played as, uh, I think, uh, Defensore, you're translating to... Defender, yeah. And uh, then, uh, unfortunately, the war happened and uh, he was in uh, 1943, he joined the Partisans in uh, northern Italy, and just one year after, later, in 1944, the day of his birthday, he was arrested by the Germans, and uh, fortunately, they caught him without a gun that he had he, at the time to throw it away, otherwise he would be shot on the place. We, wouldn't, did, we would not be here today. Yeah, yeah we wouldn't be sorry here, right? <laughs> and, uh, but he wasn't, so he was sent to Germany, for uh, with uh, with a conviction of a 20 year conviction but of course then the war ended and the americans uh, liberated his camp so he came back to domodossola where he used to live with my grandma uh, he had no more time to play football he had to think about how to make a living and um, he was passionate about three things literature art and sports, especially football. But he was wise enough to know that he couldn't be a great novelist or a great painter or a great footballer. So he decided to write and talk, at the time just to write, about football and cyclism. Because from Domodossola, they needed, Gazzetta dello Sport needed a, a, a daily sport, um, come correspondent. Yes, from from there, from that area. So he started to write about cyclism and uh, cycling, sorry, and football. Um, and then he tried to move to Milan. Uh, he, mm -hmm. he had nothing but his willingness to become a journalist. And, and now uh, you were saying you were saying something very interesting about this post-war period. You said yeah. maybe he didn't have the greatest education, maybe he wasn't the number one profile that Gazzetta dello Sport were looking at, but at the time a lot of youngsters had actually died during World War II. And so exactly. there was a shortage of people. And as soon as somebody showed a bit of brightness, a bit of commitment that would be enough to start your new job, maybe at La Gazzetta dello Sport. Yes, it was. It was very, very, very committed, and he was a self-educated man because he didn't finish his studies. And uh, but he was. He studied a lot. That is important. He spent nights studying. On, during the day he worked and at night he read a lot and the, there was no internet at the time. You had to read books, to read uh, magazines and to prepare yourself and it was very serious, really very committed and serious about everything. And so uh, he started to um, freelance with many 
uh, and different uh, um, magazines such as Milan Inter, Ciclismo, which was about cycling. And uh, then he, he went at La Notte, at La Gazzetta dello Sport, but he was still a freelance. For instance, he was following the um, Giro d'Italia, cycling, Giro d'Italia, and then he wrote different articles for different, for different newspapers. And uh, in the end, at the end of the 50s, uh, he started um, write, not writing at the moment. It was uh, uh, making TV for uh, La Rai. It happened. I don't know how, but it happened. And shortly afterwards, there, was, uh, uh, the Olympi- there were the Olympic Games in Rome, 1960. And uh, he, he was uh, um, inviato, I know, don't know. A correspondent. A correspondent from Rai. And he followed different sports. The main sports were given to someone more famous than him. So he <laughs> followed, he followed the skerma, fencing. Which yeah. Oh, nice. In. I like fencing. Yeah. <laughs> he followed different sports and also... Um, uh, boxing and there was a young Muhammad Ali at the time. He was called Cassius Clay, yeah, and yeah. Uh, he commented uh, the performance, Cassius Clay performance at the Olympics, uh, Rome Olympic Games in was that So, was that a moment in his career that he realized was quite big, quite early? Like being able to commentate on a Muhammad Ali fight is huge. Like, did he realize how big a deal that was, or? Uh, at the moment, no. Uh, at the moment, no, of course. Yeah. But uh, he remembered it. He remembered it in uh, in uh, in his life later in his life also because uh, he, he had the occasion to of interviewing several others um, box uh, boxing uh, boxers. boxers like uh, Nino Benvenuti was uh, won a, a world championship. It, mm-hmm. Italian food, and uh, who else? Willie Oloi, uh, oh, wow. yes, in the 60s. And so I think that he recalled having commented that, uh, that particular match uh, yeah. later in the years. Then, but, anyway. But, it, Mom, it, there, is the, there is the feeling, for example, right now, as we're recording here in the studio, I've got that front page from Grido, which is a newspaper, oh, an yes. independent newspaper that he published with a friend of his, thanks yes. to sponsors, and yes. they would hand freely outside of the San Siro. Now, for the listeners, the one, the front page that we have here in the front cover, it mentions Nordal and Jepson, a great duel at a distance. So, despite his interest for other sports, we can say that football was yes. his main interest. Football, yes, was always his, uh, his main interest. And uh, when he uh, finally got uh, into Rai, he started working mainly on, on, uh, I I would say, exclusively um, about football. And uh, starting this uh, show every uh, Sunday morning with um, Roberto Portoluzzi, which was called Anteprima Sport. They would would, um, speak about uh, all the match who were going to be played that Sunday. Um, and they, they quickly spoke about, such as a little bit like you do when you speak <laughs> <laughs> on, Monday, <laughs> on Mondays, 
after the yeah they did it they did the previews and not the reviews of the games okay exactly. and uh, every morning then there was uh, in the afternoon total calcio minuto per minuto and this was on the radio let's say that this was always because there was also the tv starting it started in the 50s in italy and then in the 60s it was the the great moment for tv but everyone everyone in on sundays going to the park with uh, the fiance or the family at a small transistor radio to listen to the football matches uh, to the football games and um, and this was total calcio minuto per minuto it was since every match was played on sat, sat, uh, sunday afternoon it was easy. You listened to Tutto il Calcio Minuto per Minuto and uh, you knew if your uh, team had scored a goal, if you, if, you are, if you were going to win Toto Calcio or lose. Yeah. <laughs> or lose and, uh, for, and for the listeners who are not Italian but are interested into this uh, radio show, sometimes I do listen to it still. I go to, you can listen to it on the, um, on the internet. There is the radio station is accessible also from a computer. And uh, I don't know, it's fascinating because you can be driving, you can be on a train, you can be riding yeah. your motorcycle, but you kind of, you're traveling all around Italy at the same time. You listen yes. to different commentators, then you have your favorite one. Yeah. Yeah. For listeners in the UK, the kind of the, the one at the moment is five live is like where, where everybody listens to every Every Saturday, if they're not in the house to watch the football, mm-hmm. right? So it sounds like this was like the Italian version of that, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, but yeah. there is there is a sort of fascination about not watching the game and having only the words of the well, commentator. I think there's more of an art to commentating on football without the images, right? So if you actually, when you're watching TV, if you close your eyes and just listen to what the commentators say, they're never talking about the game. They're never, never no, talking never. about what's happening. <laughs> on the radio, they have to paint a picture for you, of course, because yes. you can't see it. So there's much more of an artwork and much more mastery to it. Like for for people in England, we love to listen to cricket on the radio. So you can imagine the listen to football on the radio, we can also enjoy as it's a bit more fast-paced, right? Right. And Bam, so at this time you were born you were born in 1960 we can say it so yes. this time i got the date right yeah, you, yeah. you were born in 1960 so at this moment in uh, nonno's life you were a child you were a little girl how do you remember these days did he make you hate football in a way or not in a way, yes, because my father <laughs> football matches were played on Sundays, and normally uh, men stayed at home on Sunday. Sunday was the day where you took the children to the park and you took the children to cine- to the cinema and, and etc. My father never did because he was never there. He was never there on Sundays, and that. Um, in a sense, I hated it, but also I loved it when I heard my my father uh, father voice on the radio, and I knew that in Italy everybody was listening to his, to his voice. And then uh, my my friends at school, my schoolmates knew it, and so um, they asked me questions, especially the voice, uh, and, and they also always asked me, uh, "Is your father?" An Inter or a Milan supporter, and he never told me. 
never. Uh, we know from a certain amount of uh, things and uh, episodes that <laughs> he should, he, he was kind of an inter supporter. But I have never heard it from his mouth, though. Never no, heard never, it from his mouth. Never did, I, never did I. He told me everything. He said, no, I, I liked also many people in Milan, but the most part was... Now I see, I, I'm, I'm uh, collecting objects from his past and I see a lot of medals and, uh, from Inter Milan, uh, more than of Milan. Never found one of Milan. Only but, <laughs> but, go for it. But he was very clever to not reveal that, right? That's because I think lots of fans love to go like, oh, that commentator loves that team. He's always biased. But, so it's definitely good to just... No, sit on the fence. When I retire, I might tell you. But for now, I'm not saying anything. Still, like he didn't say he didn't say anything. Uh, some time ago, there was a very heated argument between me and my grandma because I was eating dinner, and uh, and she was like, "Yeah, why do you support Inter?" And I said, "Well, because of my dad." And then, of course, we all know that Nonno was also an Inter fan, and she was cooking, and she goes. No, he's from Piemonte. He supported Juventus. And I said, look, <laughs> I said, Grandma, please, like, there is a reason why you guys divorced. It's, it's not a reason to be salty or to ruin my life now. He was an Inter fan. Don't say that ever again. But so, Mom, you told me many times, and I would love for you to share with Rory and all of the listeners a few stories about football players coming home or Grandpa even driving them to the training pitch. Is that correct? Yes, is that, uh, that is very correct. Uh, driving them, especially, is uh, uh, Gianni Rivera. Gianni Rivera was uh, a very young player when he started to play for Milan. And uh, at the moment, uh, he, he didn't have a driving license. And they both came from the same area in uh, Piedmont, uh, my father and Gianni Rivera. And uh, so they made friends. And several times my father went to uh, Centro Schuster, where Milan um, used to uh, train, and uh, took uh, Rivera to his uh, home in Milan because otherwise he would have taken a... a the tramway or, or a bus <laughs> because at the moment they were, yes, they were famous. Those, those football players were famous, but not like now. They are not, they were not driving SUV. They were not driving expensive cars and they surely did, they did not take a taxi if they came from the, uh, the province if they came from uh, not from Milan. No, well, I think yeah, I, I think at that time they were just more making a very comfortable living more than now. It's like a billionaire lifestyle. The Rivera no, was sixties, seventies, right, sixties, late sixties. So yeah, 60s, probably making a very comfortable living. And then they started if they started in a in a in a football team like Rivera in Milan, mm -hmm. it was that football team for their whole life like Giacinto Facchetti for Inter, or like uh, many others in Zoff was Juventus and he stayed in Juventus all his life. They were not changing. They were not well, being just, uh, well, from, from a team from one to another. If they were, especially if they were very famous and if they came from the young players of the team, you understand, if, if, if mm -hmm. there was a kind of school, Milan school for, 
for uh, young uh, players if you came il vivaio si chiamava così il vivaio yeah it's the youth player. team right yeah, now yeah, yeah, primavera yeah. The the primavera vivaio yeah. literally means the greenhouse the green, I like that that's yeah. great that's a great term but yeah we can see here that um, Rivera made a, over 500 appearances for Milan so definitely a long career 60 appearances for Italy so yeah, one club man, which is impressive. And he also, there are, so for all the listeners that follow us on Instagram, if you don't, this is the moment to do it because I'm going to dump a bunch of pictures from the archives. And there is a picture of Nonno Dado also at Coverciano, correct? Where the Italian national team yes. used to and still train these days. Yes, 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 there is. And uh, it, uh, of course, he was a not a correspondent. Uh, the difference in Italian uh, journalism, you say correspondent when you are staying in the same place for a, a newspaper or a magazine. Uh, and then you are an inviato when you stay, you are based in Milan and then you are sent to... Uh, I don't know in English if you say a reporter or you're, you're sent on assignment, maybe. Yeah, yeah. On assignment. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But it was, um, who, it was who, sent who, on in different places in Italy, of course, and abroad, like in, in 1964 when he followed the Coppa del Mondo and Inter won it. He mm -hmm. went to Argentina, uh, and that's. Uh, when that um, long playing LP vinyl mm -hmm. for so yeah uh, I, I have a record here at my house called Inter Football Club the the triumphs of the strongest team in the world <laughs> and uh, it's a very old school cover and behind it says in 45 minutes an entire year of triumphs this is pretty much a, a documentary, I would say, uh, I, cured entirely by, not entirely, partially by my grandfather. No, and it sometimes was cured by him. The, there were contributions from other people, but he made it. But he could not use his name because when he worked for Rai, which was a national broadcasting company, you could not uh, do such a thing, which was kind of not publicity, publicity but it was for inter for inter supporters hell yeah grandpa grazie no no <laughs> and so he used the um, uh, pseudonimo which a was pseudonym. nickname mm -hmm. uh, uh, nickname which was arnaldo dalu uh, because, because he's the name of his village was Lu, so Lu, ah, Arnaldo oh, from okay. Lu. Mom, so I <laughs> wanted to ask you, is there any player that you remember Nonno talking about with, with particular respect, uh, a player that he developed a sort of friendship with, somebody that maybe he has stayed in touch over the years, even after he, he stopped working as a journalist? Oh, there was a very, uh, a second, uh, mm, how do you call the goalkeeper? Goalkeeper. goalkeeper. Uh, the second goalkeeper in Milan uh, in the 60s was called Balzarini. And uh, they were really, really good friends. We see each other a lot. With, also, the families were seeing each other. And I remember being at his home many, many, many times. But he was never. 
il titolare, he was only the second goalkeeper of Milan. Then there was Giacinto Facchetti, they had uh, a really a good friendship because uh, my father was uh, his bride's bridesman uh, at, the, at the marriage at his marriage, and I still have a few postcards sent from Giacinto Facchetti when he was uh, touring all over the world to my father. And uh, who else? Gianni Rivera was a good friend. Uh, and then, of course, uh, it, this was not, it was a player, he was a player and then a manager, Nils Lidolm, because mm -hmm. Lidolm came to buy a house in Monferrato, in the village near my father's village, just beside, because my father brought him here. Otherwise, he would never know about Monferrato, <laughs> never in his life. And he bought a big, big house with a lot of uh, um, vineyards around, and then it became, um, he started to make wine when he retired. He never goes, uh, he never went back to Sweden, uh, Lidl, and he stayed in uh, Kukaro, uh, mm -hmm. where they still have this huge uh, farm. Uh, mm -hmm. So these are names that I, I recall, uh, especially from from the football, uh, from his year in uh, in the football, in the football, uh, how do you say, world. <laughs> in the football world, exactly. Yeah. And uh, what about you? Memories that you have of players coming yeah. to the house or was there one that you particularly liked that was, uh, I don't know, that was sort of like a person that you looked up to, for example? Giacinto Facchetti. This was my my first love. I was six years old. I remember the first time he came to our home to dinner, for dinner. And uh, I, my mother opened the door and I was near her and I looked at this man, tall, beautiful, uh, with uh, fair hair and blue eyes. I was in love and I remember painting all the, uh, the inter the inter team uh, and especially <laughs> I dedicated all my skills to pay to well paint uh, Giacinto Facchetti and I won a prize with that with the drawing because it was in a contest and it was so well drawn that I won a prize and well, I, remember... I was just looking up a picture of him it's the first time I've seen him he is a, a very handsome man a very handsome man but he did win Four Serie A with Inter Milan, the Coppa Italia, European Cup twice, won the European Championship with Italy, runner-up with Italy, of course, as well. My God. Yeah, man. An impressive man. Yeah, and uh, he, he also, after after he retired as a player, he also was, uh, prom he had a prominent role in Inter's management yes. for quite some time when Moratti, the son, was president. When nice. so was a, was a little boy he used to be on my on my father's laps my father mm. remembers very well that because he was a, a very very good friend with angelo moratti and that's the, and that's how massimo moratti started smoking cigarettes probably by sitting <laughs> in my grandpa's lap he was a very heavy smoker too and he was probably giving him straight marlboro reds from an early age because that's a vice that massimo moratti has never ever quit but and, what about other 
other stories. So Jacinto uh, Facchetti was your man crush, your first crush yes, as a girl. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, since then, I became also an Inter supporter, very, very mildly, I would say. Mild and lousy as well, but, but a supporter. And um, I remember another player came, who came to for dinner at home. His name was Amarildo. He was uh, Brazilian and he played for Milan. And he was uh, um, a black a black man um, of origin. And uh, I didn't have many occasions to see black people in my life. No one had in, this, in that period in Italy because the, the only black people you could see, the, I think, were in the football teams. And there were not so many. And they mostly came from Brazil, I think. Uh, so when he came to, to dinner, uh, we were sitting together. At, I had the permission. Get ready, listeners. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. The, the bomb is coming. <laughs> I had the permission to, to have dinner with the adults, which was very rare at the, mo- at the, at the time. And I remember there were some breadsticks on the on the table and one of these breadsticks were was uh, burnt and so it was darker than the others oh, no. oh mom why mr amarildo is black light <laughs> like this like this oh, breadstick and uh, <sighs> my mother was really embarrassed different times and different times um, Marido told me because I stayed a lot in the sun and it was, it was a great answer because I thought he was tanned and well, okay. <laughs> yeah, for, a, for, for a, And you, you told me that you recently actually contacted him yes. and he remembered you as the little dumb girl that was pointing <laughs> at the burnt breadstick. <laughs> No, he didn't remember that episode. I don't know if he, Luckily. he remembered my father and he remembered being at uh, our home, but he didn't remember that. Uh, but uh, he, he, now he lives in Brazil and you can find him on Facebook. He was a very nice person. It was very nice to, got in, to get in touch with him again. And uh, I remember this episode because uh, I, I, I really... I, I understood that I said something wrong in the moment that I said. But. Really? I can just imagine. So my, my grandfather used to be a very funny man, but at the same time, he could literally make you become a little mountain of dust with mm-hmm. just looking at you like this. So I can yeah. imagine maybe the way he must have looked at you in that occasion. But thank yes. God that Eribe Orto... Had a, um, had a very, it was Amarildo. Amarildo. Amarildo had a good answer. But so, mom, then we cannot talk about all that happened mm-hmm. after the football, unfortunately. But I wanted to ask you, um, do you feel like it was a different type of world than it is today? So we've already mentioned, Rory has already mentioned the fact that probably at the time, footballers were making a comfortable, a very comfortable mm. living, but they were not the millionaires that they are now. No. What about? And then you mentioned that Grandpa used to drive Rivera to the training pitch and yeah. drive him back, and he was a journalist, not definitely working for AC Milan. Yeah. So there were these friendships that went over. This is my position. Yeah. This is your position. Of how course. do you feel? How do you feel things have changed uh, over time? 
Now, I think that, of course, they were stars in that period. They, they, they still were stars, uh, the, the football players, but not like now. It Now, it, the, they, they really, I think that the, the guys, the little, the boys who look at the footballers, they don't uh, look at them because they want to become as good as they are in playing football. They want to have what they have, mm -hmm. which is different. Uh, at the moment, it was more uh, a question of uh, uh, being good at playing football and playing football. That is, mm -hmm. that was the, the 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 real meaning of football. And uh, my father always told me that uh, the word that was behind all that he didn't like it when. He was uh, um, retired. He was asked, uh, since he, he started to live in Brazil, uh, to become a talent scout. And uh, for, in Brazil, it was easy. He just go to the beach and you become. <laughs> But my father didn't want to, to, being part, to be part of that word because he, he said it was a dirty word. He didn't like it at all. And uh, he was a, a very honest person. And that's why he also never uh, declared what he was, if he was an Inter supporter or not, because he wanted to be always very clear if Inter did an awful match. He wanted to be able to say it. Inter did an awful match. And uh, maybe Milan did a wonderful match. And you could not see, understand from what he said if he was a supporter of any team, not, not a single time. He loved football because he, said, he used to say that it was a beautiful, a beautiful sport, a really beautiful sport, such as cycling for other reasons. Cycling is about uh, uh, suffering, <laughs> suffering, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. And, and it's enjoying the suffering as well. Enjoying the suffering. Enjoying uh, it, yeah. I feel like the... I feel like, sorry to interrupt, mom. I feel like the three, uh, yeah, it is funny that I'm interviewing my mom, but I'm, uh, no, I feel like the three sports that he got into, which were football and cycling at the same time, and later on Formula One. So even Formula One, there was a strong, like, populist component behind the car and the factory and the assembly line. So yes. it feels like maybe his poor origins always made him gravitate towards these, you know, working class type of sports? I felt well, Formula I mean, One as a working class sport is a bit of no, a stretch. No, but <clears throat> Formula One is not a, a working but class sport. But he had a lot of popular support at the time. It, like, the people loved watching Ferrari perform and... Uh, or am I yeah. wrong? Am I wrong? I'm just but, assuming. I don't know, but uh, as we speak about Formula One, and you uh, asked me about friends... He was a very, very good friend with Ayrton Senna. And yeah. that I saw it with my eyes. I interviewed Ayrton Senna myself in Monza in uh, 1986. And uh, I remember once when he was in Brazil, my father was living in Brazil, uh, his wife one, uh, answered the phone and said, Kifala, uh, soy Ayrton. Ayrton, ki? Ayrton Senna. <laughs> 
<laughs> These are wrong numbers, sir. <laughs> we, we don't stray away from football often, but I'll allow it for Ayrton Senna. I'll be honest, that's exactly. incredible. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Did you, Rory, have any questions about, I don't know, the career, the football, the 1960s type of football? Um, well, I feel like this was... Obviously, the 60s were the period for Inter, right? That was like the most successful period of Inter's history. So... He must have felt, even though he never declared he was an Inter fan, he must have felt very lucky that he was able to commentate and be around these players in their most successful period, right? So he got to travel around the world. Did he, did he find the travel difficult? Do you think he found it tiresome or did he absolutely love the fact that he got to follow these people around the world? He loved it because it also gave uh, him the possibility of traveling. In uh, He came from a poor uh, environment and uh, he traveled the world while working. And uh, I remember, since we are speaking English, my father didn't speak English. Mm. But when he uh, went to international uh, football matches, he followed international football matches, sometimes an, England, an English uh, team came to Milan or he went uh, to follow an Italian team uh, abroad. He always asked to a colleague, to a British or an American, or I don't know what, Uh, an, an English-speaking colleague, how to pronounce the names of the footballers always before the play, and he, he couldn't hear his colleagues uh, storpiare. I don't know how to say it. Mispronounce, mispronounce, mispronounce the the names of like I don't know. Uh, Now I don't remember. And also they did the same with the German ones or the, the mm -hmm. uh, Dutch ones, uh, the French. It was very, it was very committed. And about it. just And, one, one thing that I'm very curious about that is going to make me, is going to make me, Rory, and plenty of other podcasters feel like the laziest people in the world. So, How does it work? We'll take you behind the scenes. So, okay, we've got to prepare this episode. Have you watched that game? No, that one, not really. Okay, I'll watch 10-minute highlights. I'll just jot down some notes, transfermarket.com, pull down the statistics, <laughs> copy, paste, pull out Instagram. How did it work at the time? How, have you ever seen Grandpa actually sit down and do the research? How could you remember? Or like, was he writing down? Did he have always a notebook with it, with him where he wrote down the scores and the players who had scored and all that? He had always something to write on, always, always, and uh, he used a lot his watch, uh, which was an Omega Seamaster to a chronometer. To, to see the times, to, to, to watch uh, uh, how, how many minutes or seconds lasted an action. It, you have to do it yourself because nobody was doing it for you. And then you had to, to be in contact with the, uh, Rai in Milan and to ask what was happening uh, around. You, you, there, there was nothing, nothing of what you, you could have. I think there were books as well. We had a lot of books at home and uh, used to, to read about, uh, uh, about football. And then there were magazines, especially specialized magazines. And La Gazzetta dello Sport, of course, he was reading what other colleagues of, him, uh, of his were writing about sports, reading a lot. Yeah, and I'm assuming, yeah. 
Yeah, you probably had to also get information from other articles before writing yours. But then yes. I'm assuming that if you were very curious about the number of assists that the center back had at the time, you probably had to call the office of the Italian Football League and ask them. And ask yeah. them. I'm sorry, do you have do you have this statistic about this yeah, uh, center back? How many assists has made? Zero. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wasted 30 minutes of my day, but at least I wanted to write an article on his assist-making skills. I don't know. But they are what? zero what my father was doing, but I am a journalist myself, and I used to uh, start working uh, when there was no internet. So when I had to write about someone, I just called the archives and I said, send me everything you have written in the last five years about this person, about this subject. And then with the tube, they used to send it to me with in it inside the tube. We had a tube inside the, the oh, building. The hydraulic things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they send it to me. And that it was the, the way to gather information. Then there were books uh, uh, if you are if you were interested in something special. And every year um, there were books, a specialized book about cinema, about football, about everything that um, appeared, were published at the end of the year with all the scores the, of all the teams in the Italian uh, Campionato or um, Bundesliga, I don't know. Uh, there were, uh, it's like the, the uh, it's, Difficult to explain now. No, uh, for it's, it's... Subject, uh, there was a book uh, uh, summing up what happened in that year. What uh, what films were uh, came made, out? What actors we... debuted and all that? We worked uh, like that when I worked in Sorise Canzoni. We we had to, to write about all the films that uh, um, you are you were going to 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 watch on on TV. And we had a lot of books, and we could find almost every movie over there. And we are almost out of time. But remember, there was this one time that I was freaking out with the computer program to edit the podcast. And you said, ha, you have it easy. Think yeah. about your grandfather. So what was that thing when he did an interview before actually sending it to be uh, sent on the radio, he would edit it. How did the yes. editing work with the scissors oh, yes. and tapes? Yes, exactly. Scissors and tapes, and tapes because uh, and a lot of the, cigarettes and a lot of cigarettes. You could smoke over there, which is crazy because everything was very um, inflammable. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Working with tapes all around, smoking ten sure cigarettes. I've seen um, Inglorious Bastards. They use film to light the whole thing on on fire. It's right? true. It's true. Yeah, when they yeah. do the terrorist attack at the end, <laughs> they use the the cinema film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is very inflammable, and he was working with his cigarettes in his mouth uh, to do that. And for instance, if I say uh, uh, during an interview, he used to take that small part away when the, the person, the interviewed say, uh, uh, because he was not talking and just uh, mumbling, he, he, he used to, 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 to use these scissors were demagnetized. I don't know what means, but it was there were demagnetized uh, scissors. Then he, he, he cut and then he, he took this away, cut again, and then with the piece of demagnetized <laughs> or tape. something like that tape he used to 
just to put it there. And then you, when you listen the interview later, it was perfect without uh, any pause. And also because you have minutes in on the radio, you know that you must write, uh, you must send a, um, an, uh, an interview that lasts one minute and a half. And it can't be a minute and 40 seconds. It must be a minute and a half. And so you have to cut. And he did yeah. the cut himself. Because he lost patience with technicians, he, he preferred to do. Normally, they the and also, uh, and that is the last thing I say that my father during his years in um, the sixties and the seventies, he was the Italian, uh, the Italian radio in Milan because the, the Italian radio, the sport uh, section of the Italian radio, it was him, only him, because the others were all uh, were all on TV. Or in Rome. So in Milan, the only radio commenter and uh, editor in chief was him. He was the editor in chief of himself. Because there yeah, and I have, I have to admit that it's um, sometimes it happens. I had a student recently, he's a pediatrician. He's in his 60s. And when I told him the name, he's actually way, well over six. I think he's more 70. When I told him the name Arnaldo Verri, he went, Arnaldo. I was like, ah, Arnaldo Verri, yeah. He said, I don't remember his voice. I don't remember exactly what he did, but it's one of those names of my childhood. And they said, wow. So at a moment, at a time where maybe not everybody was following the games on television, I guess that that's the name that then kind of gets stuck in your head. And then you're like, ah, yeah, 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 I remember now. Exactly. Like, and, it, and it's like your mom said with the music, it takes you back to that time of your childhood when you were listening to it, right? Like, yeah. Oh, I remember that guy. He commentated on that great goal or that match, or, and it kind of takes you back, doesn't it? Yeah. Mom, is there a moment that Nonno Dado, and then we can wrap this up once and for all, is there a moment that Nonno Dado said, this was the highest moment of my career, this is the most fun I've had. This is the greatest emotion I've ever felt. Ah, well, I, I didn't expect this question, so I didn't prepare it and I, I don't know. I, surely, surely it was when, uh, I don't know, when uh, interviewing, I, I think he, he liked very much interviewing Nicky Lauda after the, incident, the, the accident he had. Mm-hmm. And we still have that interview. We have to put in tra- translated into digital uh, digital in a digital form but I still had the inflammable one on <laughs> and he also this may, may be a big time off topic but he also interviewed the king of Ethiopia or something is that correct the, the emperor he met him no he interviewed is um he made a documentary about the... Yes, about Ethiopia. I still, uh, still have it for the Italian radio. It was uh, an audio documentary. Uh, no, interviewed, he met the emperor, was Aile Selassie, and um, he interviewed other uh, people of this court, especially a painter, uh, and the Italian entrepreneur... Um, in, were, in Ethiopia. In Ethiopia. Yeah. Uh, one last thing that's for the both of you. Um, my father, at the beginning of the, 70s, the 60s, when I was born in 1960, he was on the TV, Radio uh, Rai, Radio Televisione Italiana. Uh, then he asked to move to the radio, which was really uncommon. 
because he said what what Rory was saying before about uh, commenting uh, on radio uh, an action on uh, in a football match you must be much much better in in saying things without explaining things to people that are not uh, supported by the images and so he wanted uh, he, he wanted to go to the, uh, to work on the radio because he thought it was uh, um, uh, a challenge more of a, a challenge more than tv as you said rory sometimes you're watching a, 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 a football match on uh, on tv and the people are talking about uh, all, all different subjects not about the the the, the match it winds me up it really annoys <laughs> me or like talk some... about the game talk about or, the or game. sometimes there are very <laughs> long pauses there are yeah, very long pauses yeah. in which they take a break and they drink some some water yeah. but um and interesting and you can't do it on radio on radio you no. can't pause you can't drink you can't do anything you have to 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 talk and to explain what's happening ed ora ed ora ed ora vedi che passa la palla passa la palla passa adesso la riprende il numero 5 il numero 5 va in gol 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 <laughs> <laughs> like in in brazil that they scream goal for us. <laughs> yeah you can you can't do that on the radio yeah and then one last thing is that he always told me yeah there were not the names on the on the back so you really needed five, to know Number seven. five, number yeah, seven, yeah. you really needed to memorize them before going. But mom, thank you very much for coming on. It was a pleasure. Um, we have talked, I mean, I've heard plenty of stories about grandpa, uh, but it was, I feel like we've both been thinking about the fact that we should give him a mention in this podcast. And qu- quickly, before you go, we need one embarrassing story about Tommy when he was a kid. <laughs> embarrassing story which one I don't just know. one well your favorite you can say the one about my <laughs> you can say your mom gets, I mean, yeah, your no, mom okay. gets to choose you pick go go with an embarrassing <laughs> no, no. story no no suggest please in this moment i i i don't remember embarrassing about things. my favorite dessert mom fall on your own sword my favorite yeah. dessert from the wall yeah Oh, yes, because he, he liked to, to eat pieces of the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Is it wallpaper, brick, cement? No, it was like, it's like the, the layer over the paint, like, would come off and I would just, like, put it in it my mouth. Very tasty, very, very tasty. No, Tommy was was awful, baby. He never slept during the night. Now he sleeps a lot. And, uh, now he, that's he, all he does, I think. But what the fuck? <laughs> no. No, <laughs> no. Maybe you sleep at, during the day when you were a baby. You never sl- used to sleep. Never, In, not at night, not during the day. Never. It was very. What a dick. <laughs> I was. I was fat and always awake. The worst combo that a child could possibly be. He hated But... che- cheese and loved pizza, and uh, and, and loved to eat. And bits of the wall. Pizza with bits of wall on top. But mom, thank you once again for coming on. I hope we have honored grandpa's memory in a way or the other. Rory, I hope this was interesting for you too. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Rory was a lot on Wikipedia, typing up names. Just double checking. Just double checking. And one, one, uh, one suggestion for your podcast. You really need a woman's voice in your podcast. Have just had a female footballer get back to us about appearing on the pod. So there we go. 
an so, English player who is currently playing in Serie A should be coming up on the pod soon. Let's go. This is great, but mom, you will always be the first one on the pod, and of course, yes. the first <laughs> woman in my heart. <laughs> and we can end on this super sweet note. Rory, stop the recording right uh, now. I'm stopping it. I'm stopping it. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> So, Rory, what do you think about this uh, cute little family chat about my grandpa? It was fascinating. And I'm now going to be watching my wallpaper every time you're around my house, just to make sure that you're not picking off little bits and getting peckish, right? (laughs) What do you mean? Your mom was saying about you eating the wallpaper. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that, yeah. All right, whatever. Rory, the question is another one, though. Are you ready for our brand new quiz? I don't remember the name. What is the name? Ah, one minute to kick off. Thank you. There we go. One minute to kick off. Last week, I managed to score two points. Rory, do you want to remind our listeners how the game works? So... Um, it's definitely, as I said last time, an original idea of a game. The music is original. Everything about this game is original. I have okay. one minute to answer as many questions as I can on a chosen subject. My chosen subject this week is foreigners in the Premier League. So, Mr. Rory Criscolo from Crew, are you ready to take the stage and try to answer seven questions in one minute about foreigners in the Premier League from 2000 to 2021. Let's do it. Okay, so just out of, just to be correct, Rory did say foreigners in the Premier League. So we're going to cover both players and managers. I didn't specify. That's my mistake. Go on. Mr. Chris Qualo, do give me a sign when you are ready to go. Off we go. Number one, Mancini, Ranieri, Conte. Who is the fourth Italian manager to have won a Premier League? Sari. No. The country to have won most manager of the season awards? Scotland. Right. Three, Scotsman with most appearances? Um, players um... oh pass pass number four the Portuguese with the most appearances Carvalho wrong the Argentinian with the most appearances pass no the Spaniard with most goals Torres correct and finally the Brazilian with most goals you still have 12 seconds Brazilian with most goals. Brazilian with most goals. Um, Three, two, one. (sighs) Just say your name. Go. Julio Baptista. All right, Rory, you scored (laughs) one point. Ah, I thought questions weren't too difficult, but Mancini, Ranieri, Conte, who is the fourth Italian manager to have won a Premier League? Ancelotti. Ancelotti with Chelsea in 2009-2010. Man, the timer really does get you in the I game. was watching that Premier League years literally two days ago as well. So annoying. 
Second question, the country to have won most manager of the season awards. You said the Scotland, your only correct question. But can you remember, besides Ferguson, who won it in 2000-2001? David Moyes. George Burley. Oof. Christ, okay. George Burley. I was not getting up. Third question, the Scotsman with most appearances in the Premier League. Darren Fletcher, I would say. Correct, the 341. Yeah, Number four, the Portuguese with the most appearances, Rory, played for Arsenal as well. I said Cavalio, but eh? Luis Boamorchi. Oh, no, that's insane. 272 appearances. Now, I did check. He actually About 10 started, of them for Arsenal, though. He actually started playing before 2000 in the Premier League, mm-hmm. but I detracted yeah, those yeah. appearances. Then we've got fifth question. The Argentinian with the most appearances. Think of your friend Tom. He surely loves him. Is it Tevez? Pablo Zabaleta. 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 303. The Spaniard with most goals. Correct. You said Torres. So you actually got two. I got two. Yeah, yeah. I thought I got two. And finally, the Brazilian with most goals. Think of your cousin Chris. He's listening. He knows it. Is it Firmino? Of course, Roberto Firmino. I was thinking, I was like, there's been no Brazilians in the Prem. I was trying to think. I was like... 63 goals. By the way, Rory, besides the result, I really, really like this game. I'm glad. I I love it. I absolutely love it. Now you get to pick your topic, Tommy, for next week. Oh, I haven't thought about it at all. Okay, so my next topic, should I go more specific compared to last week? Completely up to you, Tommy. I'm trying to think. Uh, let's do. Let's do South Americans in Serie A from 2000 to 2021. Okay. Nice. South Americans this decade. I can do that. This decade, this millennium. This, yeah, this millennium. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Is that the right word? Millennium? Well, yeah, I'm anyway. Good. Millennium, real quick. Okay, Rory, do you want to send off our listeners with anything before I send them off with our with our quote? Uh, all I'm going to say is enjoy your weekend, guys. We're slowly getting closer, it feels, to normal life. So let's push on, enjoy the football, have a good weekend. And I'm going to send you off with a quote from Sir Alex Ferguson, the manager who have who has won most uh, manager of the year awards since 2000 up to today. And the quote, it's about his first ever meeting with legendary Jose Mourinho. And he said the following words. He was certainly full of it, calling me boss and big man when we had our post-match drink after the first leg. But it would help if his greetings were accompanied by a decent glass of wine. What he gave me was paint stripper. Have a good week, guys, and we'll talk to you on Monday night, live on Twitch at 9 p.m. 